Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to Jerry Talk, a podcast for modern caregivers, juggling work, home, family, kids, and finances, all while caring for an aging parent or loved one. I'm your host, Kelly Adams, a certified senior advisor and founder and CEO of Beyond Home Care. At Jerry Talk, we're here to provide you with resources, tools, and support so that you not only survive this season of caregiving, but thrive. I'm joined today in studio by my good friend, Buffy Lovelady, who's the Care Transition Coordinator for Encompass Healthcare. You'll notice I said in studio because this is the first interview I've done live in the studio. It may sound a little different, but honestly, I really liked it. It was We were able to sit and ha- just have a conversation and talk all things home health and hospice. In this episode, we will talk about the differences between home health and hospice, the myths, the misconceptions, how to qualify for both, and the cost associated with using them. Like most of our episodes, this one is full of information, and we really pull back that curtain to help you as the caregiver gain a better understanding of advocating for your aging senior in this world of confusing home health and hospice. Buffy has over 20 years of nursing experience and has been in the home health and hospice field for 15 of those years, so she is really well-versed in all things home health and hospice. So let's jump right into that conversation with Buffy Lovelady. So let's just kind of start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. How long have you worked in home health and hospice? Okay. I'm Buffy Lovelady. I'm from here in Ellis City. I've been a nurse for 20 years and I have been with Allocare for 15, which we have recently been purchased by Encompass Home Health mm-hmm. in July of 2019. So I've been in the home health and hospice business for about 20, for about 15 of those 20 years of nursing okay. services. And it's been locally here in Ellis City most of those years. What drew you to the home health and hospice? I started in pediatric and started in the ER. And one day, really, one of my friends had went to home health and told me to come try it. That, you know, it was really rewarding going into patients' homes. Most of them were very appreciative. Mm-hmm. And it was a different type of nursing, a different type of care. Once you get out there, you'll see it's a total different type of care than what you yeah. get in a inpatient setting. I imagine you probably either love it or hate it. Like, there are some that... There's no in between. You either yeah. love it or you hate it. There's, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that will come try it and they, it's just not for them and they go back to an inpatient setting. But yeah. you either, like you said, you either love it or you hate it. There's no in between. So Encompass just recently purchased Allocare. Yes. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Encompass. What kind of sets them apart from other home health and hospice agencies? I think the thing that sets Encompass apart from the other home health and hospice agencies is that they've been around for several years They have several different bridge programs, as in they have home health, they have hospice. They also have an inpatient inpatient setting for rehab also. So we can get you to the level of care that you need to be at. Also, I think the resources that they pour into their employees and the education that they give their staff sets us apart from the other agencies, trying to make sure that we're on top of our game and that we're up to date with everything that we're doing for our patients. Their mission here at Encompass is a better way to care, Hmm. and they want it to be a better way to provide care, a better way to care for the patients across the board. That's good. So I'm just going to assume, like most things in life, not all home health and hospices are the same. With Medicare guidelines, in which we all participate in the Medicare program, with Medicare guidelines, 
you're supposed to offer the same things mm-hmm. um, to the patients. Your nursing staff sets you apart. Okay. Is the main thing. I th- the nursing staff and the quality of care that you give your patient is what sets you apart and the employees that you have. It's not the same across the board, but we have to offer the same okay. programs. Another thing that Encompass does is they have specialty programs that go in and specialize in certain areas. Everyone is trained in them, and I think that's what helps us set apart, be a little bit different. Patient, if you're getting a patient out of the hospital, you have a nurse that goes to the bedside, does a bedside assessment, and we start med education there at the bedside to try to prevent rehospitalizations because that's your number one rehospitalization reason is for the follow-up and care and med education errors. So your nurses that are coming in start there in the bedside at the hospital and then continue the care. So, so there's a transition care. So there's lots of confusion on what is home health hospice. Just break those down and first just start with home health. So okay. what is home health? Home health, our main goal is going to be get you to your highest level of functioning ability. Home health is going to offer you aggressive therapy as far as physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, nursing, and home health aides. And they're going to come in, give you frequent visits. And our job is to be short-term in your home and to come back out. Home health's goal is not set up to be a long-term fix. It is short-term care in the home and frequent visits to get you where you need to be and then to get out of your home. Typically, you see a patient for around 30 to 60 days. Your certification period is for 60 days, but you reevaluate after 30 to see if they still need services. Sometimes you keep them longer than that. If you have a catheter, a peg tube, some kind of skilled, you can keep them a little bit longer. But Medicare wants you in the home and back out of the home. They want you teaching a family, a caregiver, someone how to manage that care because your goal on home health is to get them better or to their highest level of functioning ability and then come back out is your number one goal for home health. Yeah, I think what's interesting that you just said is that you're trying to teach the caregiver. And I think people sometimes miss that part of it, that, you know, part of home health's goal is to teach the person in the home that's assisting how to do those things. It's not necessarily to be there and do it 24 hours a day themselves. Absolutely. We are on call 24-7. So if they needed something in the middle of the night, absolutely, they could call us. We could come out to help if it's a need. But our goal is to teach the caregiver, family member, whomever is in the house or helping the patient to teach them to be independent and that patient to be as independent as possible, whether it's managing their meds, a wound care. Our number one goal is to teach someone how to help the patient be independent as possible and stay at home as long as possible to help them stay out of facilities, to help them remain in their home environment. Our goal for home health is not to come in and to fix a med planner every week and patient to come in to take those medicines because we need to be teaching someone else how to fix Mm -hmm. those med planners and how to get where they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. So who qualifies for home health? There's many qualifications for it. A recent hospitalization You could always qualify for it. Someone who's been to the doctor, received a new medicine. If you have had a recent infection, if you've been on new medicines, as far as if you go to the doctor and you have high blood pressure and they change your blood pressure medicines, you can qualify. Anyone that's been outside, fall, weakness, just general debility, anyone like that can qualify. Of course, if you go in the hospital and you have to come home with IV antibiotics, home health can come out to help with those IV antibiotics your wound back patients, your stroke patients. There's many 
qualifying diagnoses for home health and criteria for home health, most of our patients have been either to the hospital or to the doctor's office within the last 60 to 90 days, or they have to go within 30 days. It's a Medicare criteria that you have to be seen for a face-to-face visit either 30 days after or 60 days prior for your home health visit. So if a caregiver is listening and they're thinking, you know, mom just got out of the hospital not too long ago and really she could benefit, what are the first few steps that they take to find out? If they didn't receive a referral while in the hospital, they really need to be following up with their primary care physician if they have been in the hospital. Because most of our hospitals now have hospitalist programs, which they're excellent, but we need to follow up with them to make sure their primary care physician knows what medicines they're on and then they can discuss with them about home health. Or they can call the physician's office if their visit's not until maybe a week or two out and tell them they've been in the hospital and they need some services at home. They also can call the home health office and we can be, we will be glad at Encompass or whichever home health they choose, we'll be glad to call the physician's office for them to try to initiate a referral. As long as they're seen within the 30 days after that, get that paperwork from the hospital, they would qualify for home health. But if you've been in the hospital, You really need to be following up with your primary care physician probably within the first five to seven days to make sure your medicines are all on track and your primary care doctor knows what's going on with you. Yeah, that transitional care. You were just saying it earlier. I mean, that's the key. That is the key. And that's why a lot of times, you know, when somebody's had a long-term admission or even a few days, you know, it doesn't take long to be in a hospital bed for you to lose some function. Mm -hmm. You know, we always say, bring home care, you know, non-medical home care home with you in the beginning. We can trickle off and we can, you know, we don't have to go mm-hmm. full term, full time with you, but, you know, give yourself some time to have that because otherwise you're just going to, that that risk for injury or, or illness is just so high. Absolutely. What I try to tell the patients in the hospital that we're going in to see that are uncertain about home health when you come in and they say, well, I'm not really sure I need you. And I try to always tell them, hey, we're a guest in your home. Let us come in. Let us try to help you. Give us a week or two. You know, give us two weeks, three weeks. If you don't like us, you can tell us bye. Let us at least (laughs) try to keep you at home. Let us at least try to come out and help you for a short term. Let us try to help you. This is a benefit that you've paid in through your Medicare system all the years that you've worked or that your spouse has worked. Let us try to help you remain at home and remain independent as possible for as long as we can. Yeah. So I know just from working with Home Health that, Some of the benefits are like PT and a nurse visit, but what other things are services of home health? Um, Some other services of home health are occupational therapy, which, you know, the difference between our occupational therapist and our physical therapist is our physical therapists are going to work on your large muscles, mainly waist down. You know, they sometimes work shoulders up, but our occupational therapists are going to work on our activities of daily living. Can we get dressed? Can we bathe independent? How can we cook? What can we do to make everything we do in our lives on a daily basis easier? Things that a lot of people take for, you know, take it for advantage. They're going to really work on those things to make sure you can be independent as possible. As in physical therapy is going to work on your your gait, as in your walking, your balance. Also, we offer speech therapy for the patients for dysphagia, having trouble swallowing. Speech therapy also does a memory program for Mm -hmm. your dementia patients, trying to do repetitive things to help them remember to swallow a little bit longer, trying to help increase that memory. So speech therapy can do some memory training. Also, home health aid services are included in home health, and they are going to do baths, things like that to help remain independent. Normally, if you have a home health in there, a home health aid, you're going to have 
occupational therapy and physical therapy in there because the occupational therapist is going to figure out how can we get you independent where you don't need that home care aid. Home care aids are not in there for long-term purposes. And also here at Encompass, we have social workers on staff for our home health patients. Not every home health agency has social workers, but we do have a social worker in case you come home and you decide, you know, you need a higher level of care. They can help you transition into an inpatient rehab or to a skilled rehab setting for the remainder of your stay and then come back out and use us when you get ready. Okay, good. Anything else about home health? Well, home health mostly is paid 100%. Most insurances pay 100%. Your traditional Medicare always pays 100%. Most of your Medicare replacement plans pay 100%. There are Blue Cross plans that also offer home health as a rider. Each one of those are individualized. Some pay 100%, some do have co-pays, but mainly if you're 65 and older, most of your plans are going to be covered 100%, so you won't owe home health a dime to come out to help you because this is a benefit that's been paid in from you working or your spouse working. So if you think you may benefit from home health or you may need home health, hey, give us a call. Give your physician a call. We will be glad to come out to help you. Any home health agency would be glad to come out to help you, to help you remain as independent as possible. Now, I know that one thing that we hear a lot is, you know, is home health offer sitting services. Yes. And home health does not offer sitting services. We are on call, like I said, 24-7, but we do not come in and offer sitting services. Home health is skilled services only. And that's the difference between your home health and then your private services that you have. Medicare does pay and your Medicare replacement plans will pay for your skilled services for home health, but they do not allow home health to provide seating services. Yeah. Okay. So let's go now into hospice. There's lots of myths about hospice. There's lots of misunderstandings. So let's talk about what is hospice first. Okay. Hospice is going to be different from home health, as in hospice is going to focus on quality of care versus quantity of your days that you have left. And we're just going to say one of the, and we're just going to get to it, myth about hospice is you have to be dying to be on hospice. That is not a true statement. You do have to have a diagnosis that is possible in the next six months that you could pass away if your disease process runs its normal course. However, you know, nobody knows what tomorrow holds. Hospice is for patients who are, tired of going to the hospital, whose treatments options are limited as far as curative, but they're more palliative and more comfort measures is what we can do is for hospice. Hospice is for several different diagnoses. You can have cancer, you can have CHF, you can have COPD. We even admit patients with depression, respiratory diseases, dementia, Alzheimer's, if I hadn't said that one already. There are several different reasons you can be on hospice. And not everyone dies on hospice. I mean, people think just because you go on hospice, that means you're dying. You know, there are respiratory patients and heart failure patients that we get on hospice all the time that, hey, sometimes we end up discharging because if you don't show a decline on hospice and you um, stable out and you continue to do well, we discharge you from hospice because you no longer meet the criteria for hospice. But with that being said, those patients see a nurse two, three, four times a week. They have a home health aide. They have somebody in there managing those medicines and they have their primary care physician along with the hospice medical director managing their medicines. We're able to make frequent medication changes if they get short of breath instead of them going to the hospital to get an IV dose of Lasix to pull fluid off. We're able to do that in the home 
as you know, we try to do oral medicines first and some of them stable out. So we end up discharging those mm-hmm. patients because they end up doing so well because they have been taken care of in the home. They haven't been having to go back and forth to the doctor's office or back and forth to the hospital and they're more comfortable at home and they do better at home. So yes. you do, you know, that's just a big myth. Another myth about hospice is you can't go to the ER. Now the hospice agency does ask you to call them before they go to the ER so we can know you're there because it's our job to manage your plan of care and know what's going on with you. We can meet you at the ER, see what's going on, but there's nothing stating you cannot go to the ER. We want to prevent that ER visit because we want to be on the forefront and we want to make sure we have your medicines in your home and we keep you comfortable. But at hospice, if you can't get comfortable in the home and the medicines that hospice has put in the home is not making you comfortable, Absolutely. We're going to take you to the next level of care and get you comfortable because our job is to give you the best quality of care we can give you for how many ever days you have, whether it's one or 500. As long as you meet criteria, you can stay on hospice. After two 90-day service periods on hospice, a nurse practitioner comes out to your house that's employed by the hospice agency to do a face-to-face visit to make sure that you still qualify for hospice. Okay. Yeah, I think one thing that you said about patients getting better. I read an article not too long ago that's, that actually talked about a lot of times hospice patients, they see an improvement simply because there's so much one-on-one care that, you know, it naturally improves the health care or the health of the individual. I have one client right now who's about to graduate. That's what we call it, graduating from hospice. And then I have a second client who was able to stay in his home because it was really painful for him to to leave the house and, and go to the hospital. He needed an x-ray on his knee and they were able to bring in, hospice was able to bring in mobile diagnostics to do that right there in the home. And that's, I mean, huge. It was great for the family. It was great for the client. And it was, you know, as least distressing as possible for him. Um, and it's that quality that's just so important that people need to know about. Absolutely. We, we try to bring the care to all of our hospice patients, whether it's mobile diagnostics, medications. We try to bring that care in the home so it's less frequent trips for them to get out of the home and it's less taxing for them to get out of the home. They just have a better quality of care and they show better outcomes. Um, a lot of thing, one thing too about hospice is studies have shown patients that are on hospice longer have a greater benefit with hospice than the patients who are on hospice for a week or two. Those patients that say, for instance, have a diagnosis of heart failure and they have been on hospice for 180 days or 200 days, their benefit from hospice is much greater and their quality of life is much greater than the patients who have been on hospice for only two weeks who come home or who have decided they don't want to go to the hospital with two weeks left in their life. Those patients that have the longer stays on hospice normally have a much more comfortable life than the patients with the shorter hospice stay. Yeah. And I think the other thing about hospice is that some people don't love is that word is associated with death or end of life. And so a lot of times there's this myth that if we talk about hospice or we start hospice, that means we're giving up. And that's not the case. So let's talk a little bit about about some of those myths and about like, giving up. You know, part of hospice is that quality of care. And so what are some quality of care things that we can do with someone who does have, you know, a progressive illness? And that's one thing we try to tell the patients, you know, when you walk into a room and you say, you know, hey, I'm here with hospice, what is 
what do, what is the doctor or what has the nurse told you? Well, they tell me there's nothing else they can do. And right there, we try to start our conversation and say, well, let's back up. There are things we can do. We can improve your quality of care. We can get you some medicines in the home to make you comfortable. You know, if you're a fall risk, you can still have one or two therapy visits. Are we going to make you do 10 or 15 therapy visits and wear you out? Absolutely not. But we can do things to make sure you're safe in your home. There are several things we can do to improve that quality of care at home. We can make sure you have what you need in the home when you need it versus waiting until the middle of the night and you get short of breath and you don't have any medicine for it. We're going to put equipment in the home as far as oxygen. If you need a hospital bed in order to sleep better, to have your head raised, hospice pays for the hospital bed. Hospice pays for all your medical equipment and sometimes just that medical equipment in the home when you need it will improve your quality of care. A bedside commode so you don't have to go 100, 150 feet to the nearest restroom. You have something right beside your bed can improve your quality of care and people don't don't even realize that Mm -hmm. it's the small things that can improve that quality of care. The nurse coming out two to three times a week, knowing you have someone on the phone you can call. And if you need a visit at 1am, you don't have to go to the ER. That nurse will come to you or that nurse can just call you back. If you have a question, you need to talk through something. That nurse can call you back and answer your questions. It's not giving up. It's not, you know, you're not losing hope. It is, Shifting the directions to quality versus quantity is what I try to tell everybody. We're going to look, what's the best day I can give you here on earth? That's what we're looking for. Not how many days can I give you here on earth? Yeah. And I think that it's just important to think about, you know, we don't ever like to talk about the end of life. You know, that's just not as human beings. That is not a conversation we like to have. But, you know, like you said, none of us know really when that's going to come. You know, I sat with a patient yesterday and said, you know, I don't know if you're going to go before I do. And we just we're not promised that. And and so that having that quality and being able to to have a process of of end of life that is comfortable and is and is not I don't even know the word to say. For the family, too. I think that's the other part of it. To understand that for the family, that is not traumatic. That yes. you're, that the, the dying process is a part that we will all come to. And we and I have seen some really beautiful deaths, and you can say that. And I've seen some really tragic, yes. some really sad situations. And, and so I think being able to give a family that gift of being together, having their loved one comfortable being able to say goodbye, you know, that we really can say that's a, that's a gift of a, be- of a beautiful death. Yes. That's one thing we try, you know, what's one thing we try to explain to patients, you know, and their families, do you want to be surrounded by beepings and noises and alarms going off? Or do you want to be comfortable in your home? You know, we can make it a beautiful process. We can make it, you know, a lot less stressful. We can make it, we can make it, like you said, a beautiful process. And education is the is the key. It's 100% the, there. Yes. And, you know, when we start admitting, when we admit you on hospice, we start educating. That is our goal. We start education from visit one on end of life care. Because like you said, no one's promised tomorrow. No one knows when your last breath will be. And if we can start educating now and are you ever prepared? I don't think you're, you know, absolutely right. not. But I, we can start with a process and then you're not surprised and it's not tragic. Yeah. Well, and you guys have heard me say the knowledge is power. And I'm just going to keep saying that 
because none of us really know how to die right. I mean, there's just, you know, until we've been into that process, we don't. And so having people around you who can educate you on what's coming or how that process will progress, I think that, you know, as a daughter, being able to understand that for my parents, for my spouse, you know, there is, there's a lot of power with that. And, um, and again, as sad as it is to talk about, let's not pretend it does not happen. And so the more educated we are, the better for sure. So other myths with hospice. And I was talking to a client not too long ago about the myth of morphine. And you're giggling. But I mean, that is first thing that somebody says is, oh, well, they're just going to drug me. And it was funny because I was at, it's not funny. It's interesting because I was talking to my mother this morning about how incredible medicine is. I mean, we really live in the coolest time period of medical invention that, you know, now there are painkillers that can target exactly what needs to be targeted without having to dope someone up, you know? Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that pain management side of it, because that is a huge part of hospice. Yes. And especially with your respiratory patients, you know, it is, yes, with your cancer patients, pain management is a big thing. And then respiratory patients, as far as anxiety and shortness of breath is a big management, uh, pain management side of hospice. The one thing is, you know, a lot of people will tell you, I don't want that. I mean, I can I can hear my grandmother now yeah. tell me, I don't want that morphine. <laughs> she didn't call it morphine, <laughs> but she called it morphine. All it does is it'll kill you. It, it does not kill you. Morphine will relax you. Morphine will make you comfortable. It does not. That is not the ultimate thing that kills you at all. Well, and for a respiratory patient, can't it like slow down the respirations and actually help them breathe? It will slow down the respirations and it can help them breathe. You know, doses, you watch doses and we do not give huge doses in hospice. You know, each patient is individualized. And if you need to increase on your dose, absolutely. But everybody is individualized. It is not one dose across the board, but morphine does not kill you. And that's what, you know, that's a, that's a very common myth about hospice. When I go on hospice, they're going to put that morphine in my house and they're just going to knock him out and they're going to kill him. But that's not, you know, that is not, morphine is a comfort measure. Morphine is for palliative comfort. Morphine is used for pain. Morphine is used for shortness of breath. There are several indications for morphine and it is not ultimately what, what kills you. Yeah. Other hospice myths that you can think of. The big one is you can't go to the ER, which we discussed that. Um, you can't keep your primary doctor. Yeah, you can't keep your primary doctor. That is not true. You can keep your primary doctor. You can see your primary doctor. A lot of myths are you can't go see your primary doctor while you're on hospice. Absolutely, you can go see your primary doctor while you're on hospice. The ER, the primary physician, the morphine, hospice means I'm going to die trying to think of another myth about hospice that we hear often the other thing is is if you go on hospice then that means everything else you can't do anything you can't go back to the hospital absolutely just because is not that is not true absolutely not true just because you go on hospice if you say you elect your hospice benefit today say tomorrow you change your mind and that is not what you want you want to seek aggressive care and you've decided you want to go get say you're a cancer patient and the oncologist has told you that you know, that treatment options are not helping the treatment plan that you have, that, you know, you would be, you would benefit more from a palliative care approach or for comfort measures. And you want to go get a second opinion. And that physician told you that they think they've got a new chemo out that would work for you. Absolutely. You can come off hospice and you can go to that 
physician and you can start your new chemo, just because you go on hospice doesn't mean that's it. That's the end. You have the right to revocate your hospice benefit and go back to your traditional Medicare, just like you were to begin with. Yeah, I think that's good to know. I I remember having a client once that didn't want to go on hospice because he did not want to see the preacher. So let's talk a little bit about some of those resources that do come into play with hospice and what you do and don't have to, to utilize. Hospice services offers per Medicare guidelines, you have nursing, you have home care aides, you have a chaplain, and you have your social worker, and you have volunteer services also. Normally, your medical social worker and your chaplain come out within the first five days of admission, but you can refuse those visits. We have to offer those legally to you, Mm -hmm. but you can refuse those visits. Those are not. Now, you have to let the nurse come. The nurse has to come. (laughs) You can't have hospice and not have the nurse come, just have the home care aid. The nurse has to come visit you for hospice, Um, but you do not have to have the chaplain per se or the social worker, although we love for you to have the chaplain and social worker because we want to make sure everything's in place and you are good to go and that you don't have any questions or any needs, you can elect out of the chaplain services. And what about for the family as a whole? Are are there services that are available for, like, let's say your spouse? Yes, there's bereavement services that are, um, if you are on hospice and you pass away, here at Encompass for 18 months, we follow our patients, families for 18 months. And normally the bereavement services are done through the chaplain or the social worker. They're assigned to the team of bereavement uh, coordinators and they follow the families according to what the family's need is. They will make visits weekly, monthly, phone calls, whatever the need for the family is. We also do a uh, program once a year for our families and we invite all our families to the program that we do once a year. Nice, nice. So for a family caregiver who is listening right now and is thinking that, or is new to the process of caregiving, like let's say that they're taking care of mom or dad, and this is just completely brand new to them. They're just now learning about home health or hospice. What are some, what's some advice you would give or some information on how to best navigate this process for them? Definitely. I would reach out for help. I would reach out to a home health or hospice company, or I would reach out to a sitter services at that if that's what you needed, your primary care physician, if you need help, I would reach out, especially if you're a new caregiver coming into a situation, trying to help someone, let somebody come into your home, let somebody come in and help you for a short term. If it's for home health, if they just need to come in for the first 30 or 60 days just to come in to help you get your bearings in in order, get everything straight. Even if it's for physical therapy to come in to help show you how to transfer, how to, what's the best way you can get your father, mother, loved one, what's the best way you can do things for occupational therapy, home health aid services? I would say reach out and ask for help. Most of these benefits are paid 100%. Get the help that get the help that you deserve. Don't try to do everything on your own. Mm-hmm. Let someone else come in and help you. Yeah, I think that just getting your bearings, you know, I mean, it's a lot to step into a caregiving situation, especially if you've never done it before. And even if you have, you know, every situation is so different. And you're asking a lot of yourself. You're asking too much of yourself to be able to do it alone. And there are resources available to to help. And, you know, if you have never been around a home health or a hospice nurse, honestly, I mean, there are one of a kind. Not just anyone can do that job. That's just not how that works. I mean, those men and women have hearts of gold and they're there to serve. And I think that's important to know that 
they're not in it for the money. They're not in it for the title. Um, they're in it because they love what they do and it shows. And so reaching out and asking for that assistance and being okay with taking help, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a great exercise in understanding control and how, you know, we're not meant to have it. <laughs> yes. Do, do not be afraid to ask for help. Anyone will help. And even if you've had home help before and or hospice before and you didn't have a good experience with one company, hey, don't. Don't be afraid to reach out to another company and ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Get help. Find you some help. There are too many resources out here to struggle. You can find a resource. People are available to help you. Let someone help you. Yeah, absolutely. Any tools or resources for family caregivers that you would recommend? I would say just just know what's available out there. Uh, reach out. Ask for help. Make sure you reach out and ask for help as far as resources. Your social workers are going to be full of resources. Your nurses are full of resources. Your churches are full of resources. Um, a lot of people don't think about going there, but your churches, a lot of your church offices ha- are full of resources for help. But just reach out and ask for help. Look you up a home help company in the phone book. If you don't know one, most most people today have a computer. Hey, go on Medicare.gov, type in your zip code. It will bring up all the home help companies in your area. It will show you star ratings. It will show you outcomes based on those home help companies. Get on there, do your research. If you don't know of one, if you just don't want to pick one in the phone book, <laughs> here at Encompass, we would love to take care of you. But if you want to investigate further, get online. There are publicly reported outcomes about all your home health agencies out there. Get online and look at them. Make an educated decision on who you want to use and get you some help. Well, and just like anything else, you can always ask a friend. Yes. You know, if if it's mom or dad, ask, you know, who your friends have used for their parents or If you happen to be the person needing the assistance, ask your friends. I mean, just because it's something that's not talked about as often doesn't mean they're not going to have opinions. Mm -hmm. And so I know in our area, especially, you can ask and people are more than happy to tell you who they love and hate. Yes, they will. (laughs) They're they're glad to tell you. And like, that's that's a very good point. I mean, you can ask somebody, hey, who you used in the past, you like them. But if you, I mean, if you want to do research, Medicare.gov, if you have a computer, if not, ask somebody, ask your neighbor, ask your friend, ask a family member, ask anyone who have you used in the past and who would you recommend? Yeah, that's good. Anything else you can think of that we didn't go over? I don't think so. Well, awesome. Well, this has been good. Thank you so much, Buffy, for joining us today on Jerry Talk. And maybe we'll have you back again soon. Good. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, yeah. hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerry Talk and gained some great insight into the world of home health and hospice. You know, I really enjoyed just spending the afternoon with Buffy, and I love how passionate she is about what she does. It really takes a special person to be a nurse, especially in the home health and hospice field, and Buffy is really that special person. I use Buffy as a resource with Beyond Home Care, and I can't tell you how many times I've picked up the phone to ask her advice or just to step in and help a patient. She truly loves what she does, and she loves her patients. My goal with Jerry Talk is to empower you as the family caregiver to give you the resources, tools, and support to be successful during this journey of caregiving. If you enjoyed this episode of Jerry Talk, share it with another caregiver who could use the resource. Subscribe to Jerry Talk wherever you listen to podcasts, and take a second and leave us a comment or write and review us on Apple Podcasts. Join us again next week for another great episode of Jerry Talk. Until then... Have a great week.